3: Hub Arkish is an idiot. Blah blah blah. Made a huge living talking football. He's constantly wrong. Anyone can do post game. Well,
0: thanks. You know, Hub, I think you hit a great point
3: there. Hub Arkish. Good for you, and you know, I'm sure that's something you're proud of. Hub Arkish,
0: that getting better, this. Hello. Hub Arkish, six seventy to score, senior football expert.
3: Well, good evening, everyone, and welcome to the show. I am Paul Barkish, going to be with you until 9 o'clock this evening as we talk sports here at Chicago's very favorite all-sports radio station, 670 The Score. I am broadcasting to you live from the Hyundai Score Studios, brought to you by your local Hyundai dealers, and it is my great pleasure to be able to do that. We've got a really, I think, a fun show lined up for you tonight. Excited to talk some NFL, some Super Bowls, some Bears. We're going to talk some Bulls. We're going to uh, get some expertise on the uh, the big story around the NFL right now. The lawsuit brought by by Brian Flores with a with a really outstanding lineup of guests for you at 6:20. Uh, Patrick Finley is going to stop by. We're going to have uh, at seven o'clock Dan Pompey, my buddy Dan Pompey, will check in at 7:40. I have a labor and employment attorney from Patrick Frank and Somotny here in Chicago. Her name is Nora Kirsten Walsh. And Nora has been looking at the uh, Brian Flores lawsuit. This is her area of specialties. And so we're gonna get some insight from her as to what's really involved in, in, in dealing with these discrimination lawsuits when it comes to employment. At 8 o'clock, Eric Edholm, fresh back from Mobile and the Senior Bowl, will be here. And at 8.40, my buddy Joe Collie is going to stop by and talk a little bit of Chicago Bulls. So uh, outstanding lineup of guests for you tonight. And uh, really, on top of all that, if you've ever listened to me, you know my favorite part of doing this is having you all on. And so the phone lines are open. It's 312-644-6767. You can download me up right now to get it started. Again, 312-644-6767. We can talk about anything on your mind, but specifically relative to the Chicago Bears, lots of activity, guys. The coaching staff, for the most part, is in place now. Um, Added a defensive line coach today, and so I think Um, That fills it out. I'm not sure if we have the running backs coach yet. I got to look back and check on that. Uh, But the coaching staff very near complete. And in the last two days, um, my columns have dealt with, uh, if you go to shawlocal.com, you can see them, a big picture look at free agency and a big-picture look at the NFL college draft because these are now going to move into the next big stories in the NFL coming out of the Super Bowl and are currently the next big stories for the Chicago Bears. New general manager Ryan Poles, has told us that he hopes to contend immediately, wants to contend for the NFC North title this season, uh, take it and never give it back. Uh, Matt Eberflus, when we asked him, also said that they expect to attack and win immediately. Well, to do that, there's obviously going to have to be some fixes to the roster. It's not a complete rebuild, but it is a retool. Um, the Bears in decent salary cap shape relative to free agency. The, the numbers are sketchy at this time of the year, guys. It really depends on where you look and where you get your information. You can get in the ballpark, but it's hard to get anything exacted or really nail it down. The Bears appear to have somewhere between 27 and $30 million in effective cap space right now with 41 players under contract. Um, they do have the ability, really with just two moves after June 1st, if they decide... To move on from Eddie Goldman, right now that would be a cap herder, um, but after June 1st, um, they they win in the balance with dead cap money. Um, actually, with with Goldman, they'd win now, but they win more after June 1st. They could pick up. It looks like as much as eight and a half million in cap space. And if Danny Trevathan is unable to to play going forward, and and I hope I'm wrong. I, you know, he's one of my favorite Bears. But you look at the injuries the last couple of years, those knees, and you look at his. Um, uh, his cap hit after June 1st, there'd be another $3 million there. So with those two players, um, if that's the direction the Bears were to go in, they could get apparently close to $40 million in effective cap space. When you look at the draft... That's not nearly as rich. They've only got five picks this year. They've got their own second and third. They have two fifth-round picks. And, of course, that was Ryan Pace's area of expertise, the fifth round. We, we don't know how that's going to go for Ryan Poles yet. And they have a sixth-round pick. So, um, you know, you can get some good football players there, but certainly not a ton to deal with. Uh, the, the other thing that uh, I've taken a look at is the strengths and weaknesses of free agency in the draft. Um, in free agency outstanding uh, group of wide receivers available. There is also a lot of talent at safety. There's talent everywhere. And, And if you really wanted to go big and go right now, there are middle-aged offensive linemen. There's studs out there. You know, you've got left tackles like Terran uh, Armstead. Um, you've got Orlando Brown can play it. Trent Brown does play it. Um, uh, and those are just the guys in the 30- to 31-year-old range. Inside, Brandon Scherf, Trey Turner, Andrew Norwell. These are all 31-year-old former Pro Bowl guards who are available. But now, you know, you're making a commitment to middle-aged players, and you want to be careful with that. Um, When you look at the draft, the strength is clearly with edge rushers and, again, wide receivers. That's going to populate the the great bulk of the first two rounds. Again, there is talent at cornerback and safety. Safety in the second round could be very interesting. Now, I love Tashawn Gibson. Would love to see him back, but at 32 years old, are you going to do that, Um, or are you going to try and go younger there to match somebody up with Eddie Jackson? Um so you know the strength again is, is edge rusher uh, it's wide receiver it's safety and in cornerback uh, there is talent there there's talent everywhere in the draft but but those are probably the four positions that are going to see the most players come off on the first two days um, so that is something to uh, to keep in mind as well. Again, the phone number here, guys, 312-644-6767. Would love to visit with as many of you as possible. When you do call, you'll be joining me on the BetQL listener line. Bet smarter and beat the books. Download the BetQL app today or visit BetQL.com. And first up on the phone tonight is David out in Wakanda, uh, right up the road from me, actually. David, how you doing tonight? Good. How you doing, Hob? I'm good, Question. thank
4: you. Being that the Bears are light on draft picks and that Robert Quinn is coming on to the last year of his contract, it's like 32-33, Cleo Mack is going to be 31-32 next year and is basically towards the end, wouldn't it make sense for the Bears to trade those guys and pick up some picks, being that they're probably not going to be in competition next year and that way they can get some young players in there?
3: Well, You know, first of all, I I I don't think you're correct about Quinn's contract. I think there's two years left after this year. I think they're voidable years, but but I do think um, that he could be here for a while if he is still somebody that you want to keep. Um, uh, You know, also uh, on the age, you've got him a little older than they are. I believe Khalil is just going to turn 30 this year, and I believe Robert may be turning 31. He could be turning 32, but but he's coming off his best season as a pro. Um, so to me, Dave, the question becomes, is there any way you can get fair value in return? Um, you're not going to get a first round pick for, for Robert Quinn. Um, you know, you might not be offered much more than a three and a four, you know, maybe you could squeeze a two out of it. And so now you've got an extra second round pick, but what are the odds that you're going to get a second team, all pro defensive end drafting in the second round, at least over the next year, two or three, if at all. Um, Now you look at Khalil Mack and I don't know what the market is. You're not going to get two first round picks. You wouldn't deal them for less than one. Um, But again, it's probably going to come from a win now contending team. So you're probably looking in the, in the late twenties and Khalil Mack could very well have two, three all pro seasons left in front of him. This is the first serious injury he has suffered in his career. And we know how fastidious he is in his preparation and, and taking care of his body. So, I'm not a fan of of that concept. Now, if somebody wants to overpay that becomes a whole different conversation or maybe even just pay fairly is a better way to put it, because it's the reason you don't see more trading in the NFL is it's not like, you know, baseball or even the NBA where you get into these great debates as to who won the trade. Um, The team selling almost always uh, loses because they're giving up something of value. And and if it's draft picks, you don't know what you're going to be able to get. I shouldn't say almost always, but uh, I, I think most often, um, uh, is going to lose because you don't know what you're going to get from those draft picks. And sometimes it takes two, three, four years to get it back. So, um, you know, if it was a complete teardown, if, if they were saying, Hey, we don't intend to compete for a while, then I'd say, yeah, you know, empty the bank, get as pile up as many draft choices as you can, you know, do what the dolphins were doing a couple of years ago, what the Bengals and the Browns were doing a couple of years ago, but that's not where this team is. And, and, and so, that's why I'm not sure that I see real value in, in, in trading Robert Quinn and Khalil Mack. Now, the, the the counter-argument is going to be, obviously, that their value isn't going to increase because even if they're both all pro again this year, they're also going to be a year older. And I understand that, but, but you have to weigh your expectation as to how much more production you're going to get from them versus the production that you're going to get from whatever you get in return. And, and so, um, you know, historically... That's not often a winning proposition. That's why I wouldn't be anxious to do it. Uh, but but again, I'm basing that all again on our, our first sit down with Ryan Poles and Matt Eberflus, where they told us, uh, you know, unequivocally that they did want to try and contend this year. Um, And so that is an important, you know, I wouldn't call it a caveat, but it's an important condition to this whole conversation. So, Dave, thank you for the call. Again, 312-644-6767 is the phone number. And, guys, if you want to text me, you can also do it at that same number, 312-644-6767. Excuse me. Excuse me, guys. That will get you into the text zone brought to you by Rosen Hyundai of Algonquin. Save time. Shop online at RosenHyundai.com. Dot com, um, You know, looking at where the Bears are at, it's interesting as, as I tried to focus on what they'd be better off doing in free agency versus what they might be better off attacking through the draft, um, it's, it's the unknowns that we, we don't have yet. You know, what does Ryan Poles think that, that, that Khalil Mack and Robert Quinn have left in the tank? What do he and Matt Eberflus think? Remember, Matt Eberflus is here as a defensive wizard of the Tampa 2, the 40 front, and he walks into two all-pro defensive ends, Khalil Mack and Robert Quinn. Robert Quinn historically is a hand-on-the-ground right defensive end in a 40-front 4-3 defense. Khalil Mack has played both and I think had his best season in Oakland uh, with a hand on the ground. And so, you know, when you look at what you know Matt Eberflus wants to do, um, and and it comes ready-made with two players like that, And then Roquan Smith, who you can plug in either at the will or leave him inside at the mic, but I suspect he'll be outside at the will. Um, You know, Jalon Johnson is is an impressive young cornerback. Eddie Jackson played better last year, not to the standards we expect, but better last year. Um, And then, you know, you talk about plugging Travis Gibson in somewhere who was coming on late in the season. Um, right there, you've got the nucleus of a pretty interesting bunch, not to mention if they do re-sign Bilal Nichols. I, I'd love to talk about re-signing Akeem Hicks too, but that just doesn't seem likely. So um, I think that's why um, they're unlikely to, to, to be dealing Quinn and, and Mac right now. They could have a top-five defense this year if Eberflus is as advertised. He's got some of the really... Critical parts to make that happen, and they will be adding again. You know how they do it? Free agency or draft? They're going to add some young talent. Um, and we've got Brian on the line, who I think may want to talk about Eddie Jackson. He's out in Edison Park. Brian, how you doing? Yeah, I'm doing pretty good. Hub, nice to talk with you tonight. Thank you for calling. And uh, my con- my question does concern Eddie Jackson. And uh, well, first my first question is, what position was Eddie Jackson? playing at, which safety position was he playing at when he played so well a couple or three years ago, and um, I don't agree that he played very well this year. I think he played very poorly this year. He seemed to shy away from contact, and he always seemed to be two or three steps late in getting over to uh, protect on the deep balls. So I'd be interested in getting your take on it. Yeah, Brian, I, I'm pretty sure, I, I didn't say he played very well, I said he played better this year, but not up to the standards that we came to expect in 2018, um, and at times he played well, I wouldn't add the very to it, he's got to get better, there's no question about that, but we did see what he was capable of in 18 and and this will be... Uh, a change in a new scheme, and, and I'm sure that they will attempt to feature him and we'll see how he reacts to it. He actually got much better uh, about uh, dealing with contact and forcing contact this season than he had been. Um, but that gets to your initial question. In Vic Fangio's defense, there really wasn't a true free safety and strong safety. They they, they both were expected. Uh, he and Adrian Amos that year did uh, a lot of the same things. Uh, Amos was probably more physical. Uh, when he got here, haha Clinton Dix was more physical. Tashawn Gibson has been more physical. Um, but but the days of the, the the true strong safety and free safety are are really gone. Ideally you want two guys who can do both, play the run and cover. Uh, Eddie Jackson, you know, made All-Pro as a ball hawk with all the takeaways. And, you know, that suggests that he's going to be more in coverage and stripping balls out, you know, getting there after the fact. Um, So he more resembles the free safety. He's built more like a free safety. Um, But in Matt Eberflus's defense, I don't know that there's going to be a clear distinction. It will be more so than it was in the 3-4 uh, but still not necessarily you know, a guy who can get away with only you know, doing the assignments of one. We're going to take a very quick commercial break here, guys, and when we get back, my first guest up. Always enjoy talking to Patrick Finley of the Chicago Sun-Times. We will do that next in just a moment here at 670 The
0: Score. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced.
4: Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch
0: easy. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Yeah, roster-wise, just to evaluate. To evaluate and see where we are. You know because you know we're making the shift from a, a 3-4 to a 4-3 that's one you know evaluate our offensive line that's that's number two you know where's our receivers you know quarterback everybody really and just to evaluate it and see where we are and then you know where you are now you can know where you're going
3: our Chicago Bears head coach Matt Eberflus last week right here on the score on Bears All Access talking about The first thing that must be done is self-scouting, evaluate what do you have here, and then you have a better idea of where you're going and what you need to add. Top of the hour today on The Score is brought to you by DuckDuckGo Privacy Simplified. And now one of my favorite regular guests whenever I get to host, Patrick Finley covers the Chicago Bears on the beat for the Chicago Sun-Times and good enough to take time out for us this evening. And uh, Pat, welcome to the show. I hope all is well with you and that things have slowed down at least a little bit for you. <laughs> yeah, a little bit.
4: Yeah, yeah. Bears uh, are adding uh, the last couple of guys to their coaching staff, presumably here in the next couple of days. And and then, Hub, we might actually be out of the woods uh, after what, a full calendar month of coaching things, something like that?
3: Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's all interesting and fun and the new beginning. Uh, we'll be out of the woods for a couple of weeks, believe it or not, the combine just two and a half weeks away. So, uh, and of course the Super Bowl this weekend, um, but in the Bears case, Pat, I, I, I'm trying, it's hard without keeping a scorecard right in front of me. I think, and we don't know how many assistant position coaches there will be interns quality control, but I think all of the main position coaches are in place now, except for the running backs coach. Do I have that right?
4: Yeah, correct. Uh, the Bears added a defensive line coach today. Uh, so, in, unless he has, you know, kind of what you know those catch-all, you know, defensive assistant or associate head coach or anything like that up his sleeve, it looks like Matt Eberflus's uh, staff is almost completely uh, put together.
3: Yeah, Travis Smith is the new defensive line coach. He comes from the Raiders. Uh, uh, they also added uh, assistant offensive line coach Austin King to work with. Uh, Chris Morgan he comes from the Raiders as well Um, and and I think Pat one one of the hires that intrigues me the most is Richard Hightower who we got to know briefly uh, a number of years ago I think it was 2016 when he was here as the assistant special teams coordinator before getting the job in San Francisco has been there since 2017 And, you know, special teams are notoriously fluid, volatile, whatever you want to call it. They tend to go up and down sometimes with the participants. Injuries have a lot to do with it and what players, uh, coordinators get to use on their special teams. But I think anybody who watched the 49ers Packers playoff game has to feel pretty good uh, about Richard Hightower uh, as somebody who can come in and make a difference.
4: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And Bears fans who watched the Packers lose, uh, we were probably going to buy Richard Hightower a drink uh, wherever they saw him, regardless of whether he uh, came to Chicago or not. You know, you look at the Rick Gosselin ranking, you look at uh, the football outsiders rankings, though, and their special teams unit was somewhere in the mid-20s. So uh, not not elite, or certainly not as elite as they appeared uh, in that game. You know, Robbie, though, you know, very consistent kicker. Their punter, one of the best in the league. So uh, you're right, you know, special teams this is one of those things that's hard to to judge it accurately, uh, and there's so much variance from year to year. But he's yeah. been doing it for a while, and, and he seems to be doing a pretty good job with them. My question more than anything is, you know, Kyle Shanahan and him went to college together. I mean, they were both awarded a scholarship by Mac Brown on the same day in, like, 2002. Uh, I wonder what makes this more attractive than coaching – Uh, The 49ers, which is a better team, uh, and, and coaching with someone you've known for half your life.
3: It's it certainly, there's all kinds of questions that pop up in this, and it's kind of what makes this interesting. It's also why we have to be careful. Um, we haven't even met most of the, well, we've met Richard, but we haven't met most of these guys yet. We haven't seen them coach a day, not a practice. So uh, nobody wants to form any final conclusions. I do think the other you know pieces you add to that equation, though, is that the 49ers in those rankings you mentioned were better until these last two seasons, when and this is where I, you know, you had, they've had this ridiculous run of injuries the last two years, and and that filters from the top down to the bottom of the roster because now um, you've got backups starting and you've got practice squad players at the bottom of the roster, and so the the the, the talent on those special teams turns over quite a bit. Uh, now on the other side, though, as impressive as the Packers game was, the other thing we have to remember is that the Packers were dead last in special teams, no matter whose <laughs> rankings you look at. So so that, that's certainly part of it, too. Um, and, and I think the coordinators is, is where you kind of have to focus right now because we do we know more about them than, than a lot of these position coaches, and they do have resumes and track records of their own. Alan Williams is a guy who has been a defensive coordinator before, two years in Minnesota. Uh, Les Frazier took over that team in 2011. Freddie Pigac was was his defensive coordinator, and it was a disaster. He brought in... Uh, Williams made him the DC and they went 10 and six that second year and improved dramatically from the bottom uh, of defensive rankings to somewhere in the middle. But then in 2013, it went backwards again, right down to the bottom and everybody was fired less than Williams as well. Um, but uh, Alan Williams has been Matt Eberflus' right hand for the most part in Indianapolis the last four years. He has experience calling signals, and he obviously is going to be guided by Eberflus. So um, I, I can't jump up and down about the hire, but I guess there's a comfort level that comes with it is the way I would look at it.
4: Sure, and if you're hiring Matt Eberflus because you like the way his defense has played over the last four years, you know, what is it, their second in the league in takeaways over that four-year span, something like that, Uh, then, you know, there's no halfway about it. If you like his defense, you have to let him run his defense. And, you know, whether it's him or one of his deputies calling the actual plays, you know, if he brings three-quarters of the Colts defensive staff with him, like, that's kind of what you signed up for. And I'm sure it's what Matt Iberflus explained to them he was going to do before he got the job. So to me, it makes uh, it makes a ton of sense. You know, I, I think with the Bears lately, at least, you know, whether it was Vic Fangio or Chuck Pagano, their defensive coordinators have been, for lack of a better word, famous. You know, somebody that you know your average fan around the league had heard of. Um, and uh, this is not the case there, but that doesn't make it a bad thing.
3: Pat, about two weeks ago, uh, we were still in the midst of the head coach search. I wrote a column in, in which I said I was actually very impressed with the Bears' list of head coach candidates. It was a, it was a good list. It was it was an eclectic list. There were a lot of guys who who you might have been happy with. But the one thing that troubled me is that it was mostly all old guard. And then when you look at Zach Taylor uh, in the Super Bowl this Sunday, went to the Bengals with three years as an NFL coach, coaching two different positions, was never a coordinator. Uh, Mm -hmm. You you look at how quickly Matt LaFleur succeeded, uh, you know, with the Packers. Uh, Even Kyle Shanahan, when he first got to San Francisco, Sean McVay, one of the youngest coaches ever with the Rams. And I was troubled by the fact that the Bears were not interviewing anybody from that category, and I, I had a list of four guys that I would love to see him talk to, who at the time, I don't think we were hearing a lot about, uh, and the list was Kevin O'Connell, the Rams OC, Mike yep. McDaniel, the 49ers OC, Luke Getzey, mm-hmm. the, the Packers passing game coordinator, and Adam Stenovich, the run game coordinator, and what I liked about that whole group was that they all came off the Shanahan LaFleur tree. Well, now we look yeah. a couple weeks later, and McDaniel is a head coach. We believe O'Connell's getting the Vikings job. The Bears hire Luke Getze and Stenovich gets the Packers job. So I have a follow-up based on what you just said about Hightower and Shanahan, but first your general thoughts about Getze. I'm I'm intrigued. (laughs) I don't know that you or I, I mean, you or I
4: could be Aaron Rodgers position coach and he'd probably still be a pretty good player, Mm -hmm. Uh, but he's obviously well thought of uh, around the league. And I, I, it was so important for him to pick the right guy. I think this guy qualifies in general. You know, what's so weird about the Bears uh, is that, what is it, in the Super Bowl era, they've had one head coach, they've hired one head coach who had ever been a head coach before, and that was John Fox. Uh, so I wondered, in I agree that the young, hot offensive names uh, are intriguing, but I do wonder whether, at least in the last decade, the Bears have, uh, have suffered uh, you know from two coaches, Matt Nagy and Mark Tressman, who had never really done this before at the NFL level. So I would not have faulted them for for going for somebody who had head coaching experience, as it, I mean, I was, you know, Dan Quinn in my mind made more sense than Matt Eberflus did. But this was Ryan Poles' show, and he picked the guy that he that he wanted.
3: Yeah, and I am not, by the way, suggesting in any way that I, I prefer any of the four guys I just mentioned to Matt Eberflus. I think Eberflus is a very solid hire. Um, mm-hmm. It was just that 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 category, that that trend that I was looking at. Sure. Um, and, and so now, you know, we just talked about Hightower leaving San Francisco to come here. Well, Nathaniel Hackett takes the Broncos job. So now the Packers OC job is open. Getze appears to be the heir apparent, although he was the, the pass game coordinator and, and Stenovich the run game coordinator. I actually preferred Stenovich a little bit only because he worked under both Shanahan and LaFleur. Luke Getzey is actually a Mike McCarthy guy. It was McCarthy who brought him right. into Green Bay for a few years. He left to go to Mississippi State to call plays, and then came right back and worked for Lafleur, like the last three years under Lafleur. But but this gets back to these questions. I mean, you know, why doesn't Eric Bieniemy have a job? <laughs> I tend to believe it's because you don't. You're not getting Andy Reid. You're not getting Patrick Mahomes. How did Byron Leftwich get passed over this time? Well, you're not getting Bruce Arians, and you're not getting Tom Brady. And so now you look at Getzey kind of a step down, but the same concept. And I think that's the question you have to answer is, you know, he's never called plays at the NFL level. And again, I like the hire because I like his training, but you're not getting Matt LaFleur, Aaron Rodgers, or Nathaniel Hackett.
4: No, you're not. And and if you're asking me why Eric enemy doesn't have a job or Byron Leftwich, doesn't have a job hub. If I had that answer, (laughs) we'd be, uh, we'd put on the best radio show in the world tonight. Uh, I I don't, I I tend to think that it's rooted in the fact that, that, uh, that old, that old rich white guys uh, are are making this decision and, and, and uh, and it does not lead to an equitable outcome all the time Um, in terms of, you know, being able to, I I mean, you mentioned all these names, you know, know, Kevin O'Connell is one of them. Uh, Zach Taylor was one. Like, we don't know whether you can do it until you get a chance to do it. And uh, and there is a sense of risk there with Luke Katsy that was there, you know, when, when a lot of these young coaches were first hired. And, you know, I think we'll have a pretty good sense, you know, within the first year of whether, you know, he is uh, as good as people suspect he will be. Um, you know, and, and if you look at it, if you're him, there's a lot of upside here. If you can get Justin Fields going in the right direction, you know, I mean, he might be the next, you know, Uh, young offensive coordinator to get a head coaching job if it goes really well.
3: Yeah, the analogy I was looking for, and I forgot to finish connecting the dots, is is that you do wonder, though, um, did he leave for the opportunity to develop Justin Fields and to call plays here, which he was not going to get in Green Bay? Did he leave because Stenovich in fact, was the favorite to get the Packers OC job? Um, But much like we say, why would Hightower leave Shanahan? with the, the job there open you do have to at least wonder why did getsi leave unless he knew stenovich was going to get that job
4: well or you can sit there and you know anybody who works with the packers you know the packers job is a much different job if Aaron Rodgers is wearing Broncos colors next year too so you know you know, maybe maybe it's all of those things uh, combined to give him a little bit of wanderlust uh, but you know calling plays you know, there are only 32 of those jobs, as they say, and and uh, and you know, I think maybe anyone would have been attractive, but one with a young quarterback. That if, if if Justin Fields succeeds, it's going to be because of the coaching, and if he fails, it's going to be because the previous regime drafted him. <laughs> Does that make sense? It, it, you know, it's uh, it's it's almost a, a no lose situation for for the new offensive staff that's coming in.
3: All righty, Patrick, before I let you go, the biggest game of the year is coming this Sunday. I think it is a surprise to most everyone. I'd like to meet the guy who had the Bengals at 150-1 to at the start of the season to go to the Super Bowl. Uh, I'm sure somebody did, but I don't know who it is. Um, But it does look like an intriguing matchup. Uh, You have a clear favorite. The Rams opened at about four. I think it's only bounced upwards since then. Uh, Four-point favorite, I should say. Uh, A lot of that is just the veteran experience. Um, uh, People feeling like, you know, the Bengals may not belong here, but they didn't belong in Tennessee or Kansas City either, and what (laughs) happened there. So uh, what do you see happening? How do you you think this thing plays out?
4: The the Bengals have my respect because I've been wrong about them every week for about a month now. (laughs) So I think I've learned my lesson. I like them. Um, And, you know, I don't know whether I like them straight up, but but I like them to cover – uh, I like them to cover some points or, or I like them to cover that four and a half. And uh, to me, I, it's just, what's so strange about them is that they just run counter to kind of what we, what we know a solid football team to be like in terms of, they can't, they can't pass block. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, they look like, you know, they look like the bears a lot of times. In fact, I think the bears, led the league in sacks allowed and I think the Bengals were third by only maybe three sacks fewer than the bears had. So uh, you know, some, when they look bad, they look really bad, but you know, Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase, I think they'll have a good day on, on Sunday. And I think they, I think they're too young to know how special this is. And I think, you know, they don't appreciate how hard this is in a way that even their own fans might, you know, you figure somebody who's lived in Cincinnati for 50 years, probably a lot more nervous on Sunday than these kids are. So uh, for all those reasons, I I think I've got the Bengals. I've got the Bengals covering, and, you know, maybe I can talk myself into them winning out right by the end of the week.
3: All right, Pat. Well, enjoy it. Thank you much for your time. I know we'll be right back on the beat in a few weeks. uh, So in the (laughs) meantime, thank you for tonight. Tell Boone, I apologize for taking his dad time. Go have some fun. (laughs) Thank you, Bob. Have a good one. Uh, that is Patrick Finley, the Chicago Bears beat reporter for the Chicago Sun-Times. We're going to take a very quick break here. We've got a, an incredible lineup of guests tonight, but we also have a hole in the show now for you looking for your calls at 312-644-6767. Whatever's on your mind in the world of sports, give me a call because the next segment is all yours. Again, 312-644-6767. I'm Hub Barkish, and we're back in a moment right here at The Score.
2: Yeah, so the big thing is I had a criteria of what the head coach needed to look like and what characteristics he needed to have. And the moment that Matt walked into the room, he was able to check all of those boxes. He was passionate about the game. He was a leader. He could motivate the team. He valued players more than anything. He wants to put players in a position to succeed as much as possible. And then the biggest thing is just having a detailed plan. Matt had a detailed plan that had multiple layers to it. That's what got me excited. And I was convicted that he was the right person.
3: Chicago Bears general manager Ryan Poles talking about Matt Eberflus and his decision to bring him on. Again, that was right here on Bears All Access at the score. I'm Hub Arkish with you until 9 o'clock tonight. we got a great show lined up for you, and right now we're taking a break for some of our guests to get you all on the line, 312-644-6767. Let's get right back to the phone lines and head out to St. Charles where Joe is waiting. Joe, how you doing? Good, Hub. How are you? Good. Thanks for calling. What can I do for you? Well, you know, I'm like you. I'm 70, okay? And,
4: you know, as near as I can think, the only coach that had previous NFL coaching
3: experience that the Bears ever hired was John Fox. Am I right or wrong? Uh, that Well, in the modern era, that is correct, yes. I mean, obviously, George Hallis hired and fired himself a few times, and I don't really remember if Patty Driscoll did. I, I know that Abe Gibran and Jim Dooley did not. Neil Armstrong did not. I believe that Jack Pardee had USFL head coaching experience, uh, or maybe it was World Football League at that time. It wasn't USFL. It would have been, uh, I think, World Football League. Um, uh, so, but for the most part, you are correct. You know, John Fox certainly in the modern era. I guess that was all Joe wanted was to check on that question. So thank you for the call, Joe. And uh, as I said, for the most part, you had it right. Uh, let's get out to McHenry and Pete is on the phones. Pete, how you doing? Hey, Hub, how you doing? Um, Good I wanted to
2: chime in about the hiring process. I am really encouraged this time around. I know a lot of Bears fans are cynical, but tell you why I like it. One, they... They went through the same thing. They had uh, somebody Bill Polian in this case, help him out with the choice. And when they finally nailed the guy they wanted, they got out of the way and let him do the co- hiring of the coach, unlike Pace, who had to hire Fox, who was kind of pushed in his lap. And I'm really encouraged that he sat down with Bieber and got the guy he wanted. And one other thing he did George McCaskey said he was going to change everything the way he did. First of all, he doesn't have to answer to Ted Phillips. And also, he hired an assistant GM in Ian Cunningham from Philadelphia. I like that because now it's uh, changing the chain of command. And I truly believe as long as that guy's not a yes man and gives him constructive criticism and uh, helps him, just to
3: make the Bears a better team. Well, Pete, I, listen, I, I, I think all your comments are, are well-founded. Um, uh, I don't necessarily disagree with any of them. I, I would be cautious in, uh, in counting on what we know versus what we do not yet know. Um, uh, I, I, I Listen, Matt Eberflus, going all the way back to the beginning, I, I think it was three, four days after the for last Ryan and Matt were fired, uh, I put up my list of my three top choices for Bears head coach. Todd Bowles was my first choice. Hasn't changed at all. Still don't understand uh, why Todd did not get a job, uh, you know, and yet he didn't. Um, my second choice was Brian Dable uh, because I loved uh, the fact that he spent half his coaching career training under Bill Belichick, not to mention what he did with Josh Allen. And my third choice was Matt Eberflus. So, you know, I, I'm not at all unhappy that the the, the Bears got one of my top three picks. Uh, um, You know, as far as GM, it's a lesser known quantity, but Ryan Poles comes highly recommended and appears to be a a great choice again. So happy about that. Um, The hiring of an assistant general manager is a good sign, uh, but in itself, not really proof of anything. Uh, As as Ryan Poles described what Ian Cunningham is going to do, I think he's going to basically function as a personnel director. And so this is where you sometimes get into a lot of titles, and and, and yet you don't know uh, if the guy you got is better than the guy you lost. I mean, they brought in Ian Cunningham and Champ Kelly, who was highly thought of, moved on to be an assistant GM somewhere else. So, you know, we'll see about that. Structurally... um, You know, titles don't change anything. It's the number of bodies in place and what their responsibilities are, and we still have a lot to learn about that. I am not doubting George. I have been, uh, you know, I consider George a friend, and he's somebody that that I like and respect. Um, I I think he does the the best that he can do in almost all cases. Um, But, you know, he started out his opening press conference at which he explained why he was moving on from Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy, uh, by saying that there would be organizational changes and that Ted Phillips would basically be no longer be involved in the football operation. He put it, as Ted has advised him, that he needs to devote all of his attention to the stadium. And what did he do? Well, according to my sources, and I'm talking multiple sources, Ted was intimately involved in the selection process. We knew he was on the committee, but it wasn't just his presence there on the committee. He he was very involved in this whole thing, and that's not consistent with what we were told. And and, and I have not yet heard Ryan Poles or Matt Iberflu say that they will not be visiting regularly with Ted Phillips the way that that Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace were. So, and it's not like Ted's you know the boogeyman or a bad guy. I, I mean I think he's probably good at some of what he does. His title is president and CEO but he should not be involved in the football operation based on their record over the last 20 years that he's had some involvement. And I don't think we know for a fact yet that that's not going to happen. So I, I do think that that's something that, that we do need to you know, try and keep an eye on as best we can. Uh, and, and, and hopefully uh, they will continue on the path they appear to be on. So, uh, Pete, thank you much for the call. Let's get out to Midway and talk to Michael. Mike, how are you doing?
6: Yes, uh, thanks, all for taking my call. Sure, Mike.
3: What's
6: up? Yeah, I just wanted to ask, you know what, Who under this new regime, who is doing the scouting for the upcoming draft for the for the Bears? I know I believe we only have like a second-round draft pick, and I don't know if it's a third or a fourth-round pick, but I wanted to know who is doing the scouting. I know because the last regime, you know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, misses. They miss out on Derrick Henry, I believe, on that, I think it was 2015, 2016, 2015, 2016 drafts where they could have gotten him in the in the second round and they uh, actually traded that pick down and they didn't select him. Of course, you know, we know the story regarding the quarterbacks. But I wanted to know who was actually doing the scouting for our upcoming draft and have you heard anything regarding um, potentially moving any of our main core pieces to get any more draft picks? And then my last question would be, uh, have you heard anything potentially of maybe Aaron Rodgers going to Tampa instead of Denver?
3: Well, Mike, uh, yeah, there's a whole bunch there. Let me see what I can answer. I, I think for the most part, the scouts that you're asking about will be the same scouting group that was under Ryan Pace. And and the way this works is that scouting and front office contracts generally run from May 1st to, to, to April 30 or June 1st to May 30 uh, because of the timing of free agency in the draft. And, and, and so all of these guys, for the most part, uh, with other teams, you know, If you want to take people from the Chiefs, for example, they're under contract with their current team. For Ian Cunningham, this was a promotion. So you ask permission, you give him that promotion. But scouts moving sideways doesn't usually happen in season. Um, I, I can't list the names of all the Bears scouts for you. Uh, I know Jeff Shiver's still been there. Sadowski's still been there. I don't even know the status of Joey Lane and and, and Josh Lucas. Joey Lane was Ryan Pace's main cap guy. And Josh Lucas was his main talent guy, uh, assistant personnel director. I don't know what his title was. I don't know if they're still with the team or not. You don't get announcements on everything. But for the most part, scouting departments do not change when the new regime comes in. They have to get through that first personnel cycle of free agency and draft, and then they make changes in the summer. Uh, a lot of that work is already in the books. A lot of that scouting's already been done. The Bears own that work product. And so uh, I wouldn't look for dramatic changes there. As far as any word uh, on them making you know, trades, uh, no. We don't know yet. We heard the, the, the bump coming into this segment. Uh, Ryan, uh, Actually, Matt Eberflus talking uh, about their first job is to self-scout and evaluate all the talent they have. And then we'll have a better handle on whether they intend to deal anybody or not. Want to squeeze in one more before we have to break? Chip is in Villa Park. Chip, how you doing tonight? I'm doing well, Hub. Good
4: to talk to you. Hey, Thank you. I just wanted to ask about um, Lewis Riddick and
3: the lack of uh, opportunities for him in this hiring cycle. And I'm wondering if perhaps his presence on the ABC Monday Night Football game, or ESPN games um, and his opinions regarding a lot of what he's seen throughout the league may be the type of thing that scared a few people off, or if it's something else. And I also wanted to get your take on with Eric Biennemi, how a lot of people have been surprised that he wasn't uh, considered more highly for positions
4: or more uh, aggressively pursued for jobs. Could it be that, from my understanding, isn't there
3: some legal problem he had in his past that maybe teams are a little wary of and not wanting to have to deal with or resurrect And if they bring him into their ball club? Well, Chip. First of all, on Lewis Riddick, um, I'm very impressed by Lewis Riddick, and I enjoy listening to him on Monday night. I think he does a great job, and he's obviously very knowledgeable. He has experience in front office NFL front offices. I think specifically uh, his best experience was with the Philadelphia Eagles. I could be wrong about that, but but not at the GM level, not at the personnel director level. At least not significant experience. I don't have his resume in front of me. I'd have to go look. And in many respects, his perceived candidacy as a result of his time on ESPN um, on, on Monday Night Football and, and as kind of a made-for-TV candidate. And again, I'm not saying he wouldn't be good. Uh, you know, That's how Mike Mayock got the Raiders job, and, and that didn't work out so well. And now Mike is out, and it's a shame because there's not a better guy out there than Mike Mayock. Uh, but again, you get some of these cautionary tales if you don't look at past history. So um, I don't know uh, I didn't study the, the list of all four GM openings. I don't know if Riddick got an interview or not, um, but but there were a lot of excellent candidates out there. Ryan Poles and Joe Shane are, are pretty much beyond reproaches, can, reproaches candidates. Kwesi uh, Adolfo Mensah is, is a little lesser known, but a brilliant young man. And and kind of taking the same approach to the GM job as teams have taken to some of these coaching hires that have been so successful with the younger, less experienced, but extremely bright guys like McVay and and, and Shanahan when he got his job, and now Lafleur and Zach Taylor, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, uh, I, I honestly don't know much about the Raiders' new GM. I've got to do some d- deeper digging on him. Um, but, but I think it's probably just that simple, uh, you know, with Lewis Riddick. I can't for the life of me understand how some of these guys don't have jobs. I, I, the only thing that it comes back to with me, Todd Bowles makes no sense to me whatsoever. Um, he should ha- he should have gotten one of these nine jobs. Uh, he was my first choice for the Bears. Again, I'm not unhappy with Matt Eberflus. Uh, I like Todd Bowles for a lot of the same reasons, but I liked the previous head coaching experience and the things that I've heard from players and coaches he's worked with about what deep respect he has held in. I don't know why he doesn't have a head coaching job. Um, but when you get to, to Leftwich and the Enemy, we talked about this. People tend to wonder, you know, you're not getting Andy Reid or, or, or uh, you know, Patrick Mahomes, and then you look at, unfortunately, Matt Nagy's failure following the same path and it makes you wonder a little bit, you know, with Byron Leftwich, how much is Byron Leftwich? How much is Tom Brady? How much is Bruzerians? I'm not criticizing these guys. These are just open questions, you know, that, 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 that hiring uh, people doing the hiring and coming to it are going to have. Um, and, and then, you know, you, you get to, to the other piece of it, with, with which is interviewing. And I mean, I look at Dave Tobe and we'll never understand why he hasn't gotten a chance to be a head coach. He, he's one of the best special teams coordinators ever. And special teams coordinators, even though they don't get a lot of shots, are notoriously successful when they do. And yet Dave's not even getting interviewed anymore. And I'm told that one of the reasons is because he just he doesn't interview all that well. Um, he, he's, he, I think he's a wonderful guy, but he can get a little prickly sometime. He may have some rough edges. We don't know how you know, Eric Bieniemy and Todd Bowles and, and Byron Leftwich, the, the three main examples in this very um, volatile time and, 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 and the NFL's severe problem. There's no disputing they have a severe problem in, in hiring equity for top management jobs. There are questions as to what causes it, and if it's simple racism or other factors, I don't believe it's simple racism. I'm not saying it's not involved in some ways, but it's not that simple. Um, you know, Pat Finley made the comment, he thinks it's old white guys hiring the old rich white guys hiring these guys. Well, in the case of the Chicago Bears it was actually a young black man, Ryan Poles, who did the hiring. Um, and one of his choices was Jim Caldwell, and he told, chose Matt Eberflus. So you have to feel good uh, that, that there was no racial consideration. Is there any in the cases of, of Bowles and, and Biennemi and, 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 and Leftwich, probably the top three minority candidates who did not get jobs this year? I leave out Brian Flores purposely because he just got fired a couple of weeks ago, and there's a reason for that, You know, irrespective of, of any of the conversation about race. but But you look at to me, as a, as I said, inexcusable that that, that you know um, Todd Bowles doesn't have a job. These other guys would appear to be qualified too. We don't know what happens when they get in the interview room. We don't know how they present themselves, and, and that may have something to do with it too, Chip. So fortunately, it's a problem everybody's now talking about. Hopefully, they'll get serious, and I say they, the league will get serious about fixing it, um, and uh, and we'll know more as this develops. Do want to tell you all. The bottom of the hour was brought to you by DuckDuckGo Privacy Simplified. We're going to take a quick break here. On the other side, my buddy, Hall of Fame writer Dan Pompey, going to check in. We'll talk all things NFL with Dan Pompey
0: in just a moment.